start the song service. Emery, if you could please include this on the recording so that it will be linked to this message. When the, door, when the Lord opens a door, we can either walk through it or not. Pastor Knapp was presented an opportunity to come down here from New England, and he chose to walk through the door that the Lord opened for him. He became the pastor of this church by the Lord's direction, and he faithfully has served in that capacity throughout many trials, adversities, and joyous times as well. He's taught the word in season and out of season and followed the Lord's direction no matter what the cost. Yesterday, <clears throat> yesterday marked the 45th anniversary of Pastor Knapp heeding that call to shepherd this flock in New Kensington. Now, as much as Pastor Knapp would prefer anonymity about this day, I hope that you'll please join me in expressing our love and appreciation for his unwavering service to the Lord on his 45th anniversary of pastoring this flock. Mrs. Carol Hale, and that is Reverend William Garnett, also known as Dollar Bill. All right. You guys are why we came, that's why we came to New Kensington. You were right, Pastor Brown, I did have a, another surprise. Let's turn to Hebrews 13, because that's where we're going. I really appreciate what you said, Brian, and he's right. I was going to let this day kind of pass unnoticed and have it just be another day, but I knew he had the spirit of Jesus in his heart, and I didn't want to quench that spirit, so I thank you for that, and I thank you all. In fact, I, I noticed there are people here who have been the full stretch with me, and I, I appreciate that more than you know, and... God has been indeed faithful, and thank all of you for letting him be faithful to you, for receiving his grace, because we surely have a gracious God, and that's what I'm thanking him for this Thanksgiving season, that he willed to be the gracious God and the God who is for us and no other God. And speaking of people that have been here for many, many years, decades and decades in some cases, one of those is Janie Sherbandi. Her and her husband Bill used to sit right up front here. And Janie ended her time that was allotted and given to her on this earth after completing the race and went home to be with the Lord this past Wednesday, a couple days before this anniversary. And our prayer is, of course, for the majestic mercy of God to be around Bill and around her very large family. If you want to see this, Pam printed out this uh, obituary. And if you remember Janie, this is a good, pretty good picture of her. She was a remarkable lady in every way, and she was part of our biker gang, the Tetelestai biker gang, right, Don? And she, Bill told me on the phone this week that she had such racking uh, 
arthritis that they had to replace joints and she went through a lot of pain and he said she never complained, which to me is heroic. But they used to, some of these guys used to go to DC on their bikes every year, their motorcycles. And that's, I call them the Tetelestai motorcycle gang. And Bill said that she was so racked in pain that she had to be set on the bike. But she still went to DC in the rallies every year. So she was a courageous lady. But she also stayed, he said she studied the notes avidly right up until the end and passed into the presence of the Lord gloriously, of course. And we want you to know also that there will be family and friends being received from 2 to 4 p.m. and 6 p.m. this coming Tuesday. One of the verses I'm going to mention today is that God is pleased with sacrifices like the doing of good and the sharing what you have. Certainly the doing of good would be surrounding someone in their, their sorrow and grief, surrounding Bill and the family if you wish to go. And if you can, that's also Janie's, that'll be at J.A. Hoffer Funeral Home. And the information, I'll put this out afterwards. The information will be out on that table. J.A. Hoffer Funeral Home, 2245 Mount Pleasant Road, Norvelt. So that's the Hoffer Funeral Home, Norvelt, PA. And her service will be at 10.30 a.m., Wednesday, November 22nd, in the funeral home. And Pastor Jeff Stewart, thank you. You've consented, he's consented to do the officiating of the funeral service and the interment then will be private. And I'm grateful to Pastor Stewart. He's, you've done a lot of funerals lately, I noticed that. And uh, he's always heartfelt and always scripturally oriented and filled with the spirit when he does that, so. Another faith hero joins the ranks, and Hebrews 11 keeps getting written. We see Jesus, this is increment 317, but knowing a little in advance that I knew that Brian would be saying those kind words today, I'm going to make this kind of a double as, a, as an anniversary message. We're entering into our 46th year today. I'm also very pleased that when I walked in on the way to Yankee Stadium this morning, there were cookies. <laughs> and uh, like the cartoon character said in the old Sugar Smacks commercial, you can't have any. <laughs> so I was known as the child pastor. I came down here when I was only five years old and began preaching. And uh, so. But today I want to consider where we're going. An anniversary marks time. In the anniversary in which we mark the passage of 45 years of God's gracious fidelity to Tetelestai Phalanx, it's, as it's come to be known. Let's choose not so much to look over the past, but rather to look forward to the time to come to consider not where we've been as much as where we're going. That's what I choose to do today. It's surely never time to rest on our laurels. Laurels meaning successes and having to do with wreaths of the winter, etc. It's And I thought as I was writing my notes in the past couple days, that it's never time to rest on our laurels because we aren't sure we have any laurels to rest on. So I, I'd, I'd rather, I like what Paul's attitude was. I think it's much better to have the attitude of the Apostle Paul who harbored a wholesome fear. There is a wholesome fear. It's called a pure or a clean fear. And it's very purgative of the soul he had the attitude that what if he had preached to others all his life the rules of the race and the rules of the contest and yet was disqualified himself. So he pressed on. He didn't assume 
that he had any laurels, that he, that he had the wreath of righteousness until he said to Timothy, my life is already being poured out. In that very moment of his dying phase, then he knew there is a crown of righteousness laid up for me, and not for me only, but for all who love his appearing. You can be sure Janie Sherbandi's getting that one because she did love his appearing and she has finished the course. She's run the race. She's kept the faith. Most of all, she studied my notes <laughs> up until the end. No, I'm kidding. So it's better to have that attitude. So Paul pressed on. And we press on toward the mark of the prize of the heavenly calling as we carefully consider Jesus, the apostle and high priest of our confession, the source of eternal salvation of all people everywhere and of all time and times, the author and completer of faith. We don't really look back on yesterday we look to Jesus, who embodies yesterday, as the Lord of time, the King of the ages. We don't look to the future either, not really. We look unto Jesus, who embodies the future, and whom we meet in the future when we see him face to face. We look unto Jesus, who embodies the future, who is the same yesterday, and forever. Wherever we look, we see Jesus. We don't look forward to death in dread or with joy or even with resignation. We look forward to seeing him as he is and to being like him. And today, if we hear his voice, we don't harden our heart. That's Hebrews 3, 7, 4, 7. We don't imitate Israel after the flesh in the day of provocation. But we receive his word as an implanted seed that grows into a steady experience of his so great salvation. Even now, in our time, in our allotted time, in our given time, in this time which is like the steam arising from a tea kettle that's there for a while, then gone. For Jesus is Lord of yesterday. He's the Lord of our yesterday, the Lord of our today, and the Lord of all tomorrows. So we are, by God's design, still studying now, right today, and through this now, Hebrews together. And we're realizing more and more that it is him speaking, intimating, revealing, instructing, warning us from heaven. That's why I call it a heavenly homily. Hebrews is the Lord speaking to us from heaven. Krematizanta ap uranon, kind of the Greek title of today's message. The uncreated God who has in these last days spoken definitively and with finality in a son is none other than the gracious God. Creation, including mankind, is therefore that to which and to whom God is gracious through Jesus Christ. Who am I as a man? I am he to whom God is is gracious through Jesus Christ. Who are you? You are they whom God has chosen to be gracious through Jesus Christ. That's what mankind is. That's what creation is. That's what all of creation is, including animal kind, mankind, angel kind. And that's why I'm grateful this season. That's why I'm always grateful. God has willed to be for us. He has determined himself and elected himself to be God for us and no other God but God 
for us. He's chosen to be God, not without us, but with us. Emmanuel. He has chosen to be God with us, not without us. God for us, not against us. God for us always, not sometimes. And therefore, we, our identity, is the creation to whom God is gracious through Jesus Christ, who is full of grace and truth. We have much to be thankful for, even if that's all that we have to be thankful for. We have much to be thankful for. To have a proper relationship with the gracious God, with the God of all grace, as he's called by Peter, in 1 Peter 5.10, is not to fail the grace of God, in Hebrews 12.15. It's to let our hearts be strengthened by grace, as Hebrews 13.9 puts it. It's to be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus, as Paul wrote to his protege, Timothy. To fully appropriate God's grace through Jesus Christ is to fulfill our purpose in real time and to be more than conquerors through him who loves us. Now we hear it since the computer age began, we hear this term real time because it's related to tasks completed in computer science. It's real time, we hear this time all the time. Here people give briefings, the Pentagon guy, give, we're, we're over there in real time. And I'm going, well, what other time is there? I mean, it's real time or what? But there is a definition of real time, scripturally speaking, real time. We hear the turn of phrase real time often, but real time in the biblical sense is the actual divinely given time the allotted breathing space for a given human being to exist on this side of the created universe. The created universe is the heavens and the earth. It's an integral cosmos. The heavens that I'm speaking about, of course, are where Jesus is at the right hand of the Father, and in another sense, before the face of God the Father, and it's the inaccessible and incomprehensible side, to use Barth's language. But the cosmos is one, the earthly and the heaven, is one integral cosmos. So when we leave this side of the creature word side of the cosmos, we enter into the God word side, where Jesus is. And so we have real time. Real time is the time in which a given human being is given breath by his or her creator. For us, it is a time to receive the implanted word and to hold forth the word of life in the midst of a crooked generation, as James 1.21 puts it, and then Philippians 2.16. Real time is the limited space or span, we could say, in which we may humble ourselves and glorify God in our bodies, which belong to God by purchase, by price. You're not your own. I'm not my own. In the measure that I know that I'm not my own, well, that's the measure that I'm happy. In the measure that I think I'm my own, that's the measure of my mercy, my misery. The prophet Daniel spoke in a blasting reproof of Belshazzar. Belshazzar was the de facto king of Babylon, and he staged a big banquet and a big party for all of his nobles and their concubines and consorts, escorts, you might say, and they drank from the vessels that were taken by Nebuchadnezzar's conquest of Jerusalem and the temple of God, and from those they toasted the gods of stone and wood and gold and silver. And you know this, the story, the narrative. A hand appeared out of nowhere and started to write upon the wall, Mene, Mene, Tekel, Upharsin, it said, in Persian. And they didn't know what it meant. 
because they didn't know that the Persians were going to take over that night and Darius the Mede was going to come into town and cut Belshazzar's throat and every one of those concubines and consorts and senators and nobles and the Medes and Persians were going to take over that night. So they called Daniel. Daniel, I, I picture him as a little bit grumpy because been, he'd been out of kilter for a while and out of service for a while. And he came and they said, we heard you have the spirit of the gods, so to speak, and you can interpret this. And Daniel did interpret it. And then he said, and that said to the king, and you can pick this up in Daniel, Daniel chapter 5. I've got the Theodosian version. I called it the TV. Theodosian version of Daniel 5, 22 to 23. It says, and so you, Belshazzar, Nebuchadnezzar's son, have not humbled your heart before all these things you knew. After recounting the whole history of Nebuchadnezzar and his humbling because he thought he was something when he was nothing. And God's humbling him by giving him a kind of insanity where he thought he was a cow for seven years. That kind of did the job. And his son didn't learn anything from that. And so he said, you have not humbled your heart before all these things that you knew. Knowing history, knowing your father's history, you didn't do this. And then he says in verse 23, you have exalted yourself against the Lord God of heaven and the vessels of his house they brought before you and you and your nobles and your concubines and your consorts were drinking wine with them and you have praised the gold, the, the gold and silver and bronze and iron and wood and stone gods which do not see or hear or know and the God in whose hand your breath is and all your ways, you have not glorified him. The phrase that strike, struck me the first time I ever read this, Daniel's one of the first books I ever taught, even in northern Vermont a long time ago, in the 70s, I guess, before coming here, is that phrase, the God in whose hand your breath is, meaning your next breath is in his hand. Now, people don't speak to kings that way. I think if I met, what's his name, she or G or whatever the hell his name is this week, I would have probably said, you know, God has your next breath in his hand. Now let's talk instead of surrendering to him. How about that message? Daniel had that kind of courage in front of a world leader. He was a prophet. So, Bel's Beltazar, in, in the Greek it's Beltazar, his real time, his allotted time, his given time in which he had opportunity to humble his heart and glorify the true and the real God. And he had that opportunity. It was up. His time was up. So was the time for the kingdom of Babylon. And according to the Theodosian version, which is, I think, the superior Greek version, the TV, in Daniel 5.30 to 31, it says, In that very night, Balthazar, the Chaldean king, was killed, and Darius the Mede received the kingdom, being 62 years old. That's history. Daniel's God-breathed words are striking. The God in whose hand is your breath. So what's a clean fear to have? My clean, wholesome fear is not a fear of death, but it's a wholesome, healthy fear of the God who holds my next breath. That could be a poem. Not afraid of death, but have fear of God who holds my breath. The true God is he who gives breath and takes it away. He kills in this age and makes alive in the next age is what the Targum of Deuteronomy 32, 39 puts it. In his hand is our breath. It is advisable to join in with all that has breath and praise this God, this Lord. For the last verse in the Psalms, one that Ricky and I always talk about, let all that has breath praise
praise the Lord. As Hebrews 13, 15 to 16 says, Therefore, through Jesus Christ, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise. Please notice that. All through Hebrews, he's talking about the sacrifices that God is not pleased with. Animal sacrifices because of the once and for all sacrifice of Jesus Christ. God's not pleased with holocausts and whole burnt offerings and sin offerings and sacrifices of this kind because of the once and for all sacrifice. But there is a sacrifice, in fact, sacrifices that God is well pleased with. And Brian mentioned how we can offer that sacrifice this morning. Through Jesus Christ, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise, that is, the fruit of lips that confess his name. Don't neglect the doing of benevolence and generosity. Don't neglect the doing of good or the benevolence and generosity. For God is pleased, God is pleased, put the emphasis there, with sacrifices like these. One thing I've been motivated to do more than ever is to be a congregation who are the agents of benevolence and generosity because that is a sacrifice that is pleasing to God. Again, real time, according to the Holy Scriptures, is the span over which Jesus Christ is Lord. I'll say that again. The span over which Jesus is Lord. That's real time. For he is rightly called the King of the Ages in 1 Timothy 1.17, and his name is rightly confessed in this saying, Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and for the ages, literally. Real time is the time of Jesus Christ, who is reality. And who is, in reality, the Lord of the living and the dead. Because all live to him. Romans 14, 9. Luke 20, 38. Real time is the time of him by whom all beings, include all, including all human beings, possess their essence, their existence, and their time in this world. Our times are in his hands. Psalm 31, 15. As our breath is in his hand in Daniel 5, 23. This ought to make us fear in the wholesome and clean sense of fear. There is a clean fear. Psalm 19.9 speaks of it. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring for ages and ages. The, judgment of the judgments of the Lord are true and justified altogether. The greatest judgment of God that's justified altogether was the judgment of Jesus for us. His receiving of judgment for us. A judgment that was justified altogether and that justified all together. Pure or wholesome is this fear. Not of death. That's an unclean fear. But of God in whose hand our breath and our allotted and given time in this world are found. Gratefully and thankfully, we are also in his time, in Jesus' time. He embodies all time as all human beings are also ultimately embodied in his incarnate being. All human beings are reconciled to God in him now. This is the radical and universal alteration about which we've said so much of late. But though it is true that the world has been reconciled to God in Christ and by his death, there is still this allotted time of ours. Our time is allotted to us by God. This time is given to us by God. For some, the time is brief. For others, the time is 
longer in span, but a person in a brief period of time can glorify God, whereas in some cases, over a long period of time, God is not exalted because the person does not take the opportunity to humble themselves before him. That's the whole secret of life. The secret of life, as one man recently said, is not for young people to follow their passion, but for them to take opportunity as God provides it. Passion will follow. The bliss that you want will follow. All human beings are reconciled, for he is the Savior, eternal Savior, of all people everywhere at all time. This is the radical and universal alteration of our situation. But though the world has been reconciled to God in Christ and by his death, there is still this time, this allotted time, this time given to us by God, our creator and redeemer. And whatever you do on your side to try to prolong that time, that time is God's allotted time and given time, and you can't change the length or span of that time. You just can't do it, which is why I'll eat as many cookies as I want today. So, no, I don't mean to be careless by that. Of course, we don't mean to be careless, of course. I can be careless if I want. I'm already almost 73 years old. I can do whatever the hell I want now. That's what, I, that's what happens in your 70s. You, I can do whatever I want now. No, I can, I can do, I only have one thing that I can do. I'm allowed to do. And that's submit myself to the Lord Jesus Christ. I, I got nothing else. I've got nothing else. He is our life for me living as Christ and to die. Well, that's a gain. That's a profit because it's to see him. Paul didn't say, I'm looking forward to dying. He said, I'm looking forward to departing to be with Christ. He wasn't looking forward to death. He wasn't resigned to death. He wasn't afraid of death. He wasn't looking forward to it with joy like, I got to get out of here. When we say, come quickly, Lord Jesus, it's not so we can get out of here. That's the wrong kind of expectation. We don't say, come quickly, Lord Jesus, get us out of here. We say, come quickly, Lord Jesus, we can't wait to see you. That's the real heart. That's the heart of the matter. That's what maranatha means. Until then, we'll fight. Until then, we'll fight the good fight. Till then, we'll run the good race. Till then, we'll be full, fully armed for the spiritual combat. Until then, we don't let up. We don't let our shield down. We don't stop wielding the sword. We don't stop wearing the helmet of salvation, the belt of truth, the combat boots for traction in our forward march, the breastplate of righteousness, his righteousness, the helmet of salvation, the expectation of his coming with salvation. We never let up on those things. He never lets up on us, never gives up on us. And so there is still this allotted time of ours, this time given to us by God, our creator and redeemer. It's real time. It's the space and span that is to be redeemed for the days are evil redeeming the time for the days are evil. It's a time that we're commanded to redeem and we redeem it by humbling our hearts and by exalting the Lord of heaven. Exactly like Balthazar did not do. It's time not to follow our passion or our bliss but to take divinely given opportunities and to let passion and bliss follow. It's time to delight ourselves in the Lord and let him fulfill the desires of our heart, to seek first his kingdom and righteousness and all else we need will follow, sometimes in abundance, sometimes in sufficiency, but always, always enough. We humble our hearts by listening, by being available to be taught by God, John 6:54, which quotes Isaiah 54:13, they shall all be taught by God, he says. John 14:26, 16:13, 1 Corinthians 2:9, 2, 
to 16. 1 Thessalonians 4.9, Paul said, I don't have to teach you to love one another because you've already been theodidactoi, taught by God to do that. For he teaches the humble of heart. He teaches the humble of heart. It doesn't say he teaches the smart or those who think they're smart, but the humble of heart. Psalm 25, 9. He teaches the proud, too, but he uses a little different method. For the Bible says he resists the proud, but gives more and more grace to the humble. That should be understood as more and more grace, more and more grace to the humble. James 4, 6. Jesus is the ultimate example, incidentally, of the humble heart. He was given a time span as the man. Jesus Christ. He was given allotted time. He was given given time. It was called the days of his flesh. He had a beginning of time in his birth. He had an end of his time on earth in his death. But in a relatively short span of time, he accomplished some things like, oh, the eternal salvation of everywhere, every, everyone everywhere over the course of all time, the liberation of all creation from its slavery to corruption all of which will be manifest when we see him, when every eye sees him. For he who was a man with a span allotted and given to him is also God, the eternal son, in whom God spoke to us in these last days. But he was that man with that beginning in the narratives of Matthew and Luke, which we turn to every Christmas and should turn to more than that. And who had an end when he bowed his head and gave up his spirit and expired. And before he died as the end of a human span and an allotted given span, he gave the breath back to the Father who gave him breath to live this life. But before he gave his life and expired his last breath, expended his last breath, he had endured the death of the cross, which is the wages of sin for everyone, so that no one else in all of human history endures, experiences, suffers that death. He was and is and always will be God as God's son. He nevertheless learned obedience, said the scripture. Learned obedience through what he experienced in the days of his flesh as a man, born of a woman, born under the law, in real time and in the course of real history. Born into the time over which he was always Lord In our real time, then, there is the course of time. There is this time and that time. We speak of daytime ruled by the greater light of the sun and nighttime ruled by the lesser light of the moon and the stars. Dark night, but nevertheless ruled by light, even though it's a lesser light. Even if shrouded by clouds and mist, there is nighttime ruled by a lesser light. There is a first time and a second time and a third time we speak of and so on and on. There are difficult times, appointed times, a good time and a bad time and not so good a time. Again, there is a lot of time, limited time given for such and such a task and a time of rest. There is the time when our time comes, we say. And... As David said to his son when he, died, when he was about to die, he said, I'm going the way of all flesh. This is the way we all go. Well, we showed some exceptions, however, with Enoch and others. There's what we call wasted time, time put to bad use, and there's redeemed time, time put to good use. Sometimes we just kill time or bide our time. There are short times and long times. There is this time today and this time tomorrow, and sometimes there's even no time left for you. Oh, that's guess who. No, guess who? 
I don't want to quote them too much, they're a Canadian group, but uh, there are short times and long times, just kidding, there is this time and that time, today, this time today, this time tomorrow. There's a time of sudden calamity and a time of sudden prosperity. There's a time for every activity under heaven, said the Ecclesiastes preacher, the Koheleth, the preacher. There is a time to give birth and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to uproot, a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to tear down and a time to build, a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance, a time to throw stones and a time to gather stones, a time to embrace and a time to avoid embracing, a time to search and a time to count as lost, a time to keep and a time to throw away, a time to tear and a time to sow, a time to be silent and a time to speak, a time to love and a time to hate, a time for war and a time for peace. And then the preacher said, Koheleth the preacher said, he has made everything appropriate in its time. But then he said even more, there is time for every activity and every work. More than this, he says, God has also put eternity into man's heart. He has put eternity into human hearts. That means he gives us an intuitive awareness of the simultaneity of all time. But man, he goes on to say, but man cannot fully comprehend the work God has done from beginning to end. Ecclesiastes 3.11b. But I would say that the Koheleth was kind of like a midlife crisis guy, a little bit giving up. So I would say, okay, yes, man cannot fully comprehend the work as God has done from beginning to end, but that's only without God teaching us, without God revealing to us. For only God can reveal God, and God the Son has been sent to reveal him. And we do know God's purpose from beginning to end, and that the end is to sum up everything in his Son. There is a nation's time, a country's allotted time, it's given time. It was said by Isaiah in 1322, again, the boldness of the prophet, Babylon's time is almost up. Will there be a prophet that will stand up and say, America's time is almost up? I don't know. And indeed, Babylon's time has been up. When you saw Babylon in its glory, you would say to yourself, It'll never, their time will never be up. Rome said of itself, our time will never be up. Rome is the eternal city. Jerusalem in its apostasy had great glory, and the temple great glory and splendor, and the stones that Herod took 46 years to refurbish were so magnificent that this city is an eternal city, and the Hebrews writer comes along and says, here we have no continuing city. This isn't any continuing city. There is no eternal human kingdom. There's only the kingdom of God and the human, the man, Christ Jesus. The time for the Persian Empire, so glorious at one time, has come and gone. A time for the Grecian kingdom has come and disappeared like the steam from a boiling tea kettle. Even the time of nearly 1,000-year Roman Empire has gone by. And thank God Almighty, the Third Reich of Adolf Hitler is gone. Though its abominable ideology is alive in the hearts of terrorists, professors, and protesters in 2023. But I'm reserving that for the negative part of this message called ressentiment. If America perishes in the next 10 years, it will be on a wave, a tsunami of ressentiment, which is not a transient feeling, but a deep-seated root of bitterness, which growing up defiles many.
And so, that evil philosophy, let me just put a little hint in here. To hate Jews is to hate this statement that Jesus made, salvation is from the Jews in John 4.22. And salvation from the Jews means that Christ, the Savior of the world, is from the Jews. The next step for that little bias, which is politely called anti-Semitism, which really means evil, envy, and resentment toward the Jews, the next step in that is the ultimate prejudice toward Christians because Christians are the new Israel in one sense. They are the Israel of God in one sense. And Jesus Christ is the God of Israel and the Savior. To hate Jews goes way beyond a social choice and a cultural decision that you make. It goes way beyond a political decision that you make. It's a hatred of Christ from whom who came from the Jews to be the savior of the world. It's something, that's why that phenomenon keeps going on and on and on. And hatred of other people groups doesn't go on and on and on. It ends. It's even legislated against. But that's coming up. I, I, had, I cut out, I did a surgery this morning on my message and cut out and stuck with the real time. I woke up and the Holy Spirit said, stick with time, do Rasantamant later. So, but I, Father, forgive me, I've just given a hint of the negative side of this. So in closing, is America's time almost up? I'm looking at a clock here. Yeah, my time's almost up. I don't know. But God, who inhabits eternity, who lives in the simultaneity of all time and times, has put eternity in our hearts. It's an intuitive awareness of the simultaneity of all time and times into men's hearts. When Jesus Christ is in us, and he is, eternity is in us, and we are in eternity in the simultaneity of all times. But again, there still is this time real time allotted to us, given to us, allotted and given for a purpose. For we are God's covenant community, the new covenant community, and the first fruits of a guaranteed universal harvest. As such, we are Jesus Christ's witnesses in the power of his spirit. So there is real time and our real responsibility in time. Our real responsibility in our allotted time, our given time, in time over which Jesus is Lord. That responsibility was expressed concisely by Jesus himself in his limited time in the days of his flesh. He said this, and I will close with this, and we'll move to the communion fairly rapidly. All of you, take up my yoke and learn from me because I am humble of heart. I am gentle, he said. That means that he fulfills the prophecy that he will not quench the smoking flax. If there's a spark, in a little piece of cotton. He doesn't put the spark out. He lets it become a flame. If there's a reed broken as he walks through a swampland, he doesn't break off the reed. If there's a wounded person, a person with a wounded capacity or a grieved spirit, he doesn't quench the little life they have, but he allows the spirit to blow on that life and into a flame. I am gentle, he said. He has chosen not to meet the evils of the human race 
with overwhelming power, but to convert those evils through the just and mysterious law of the cross in which he gave himself for us. Come and learn from me. I'm gentle and I'm lowly in heart, humble in heart. The only time we ever see Jesus describe himself as a man in time with a limited span like we have, yet he was God. He describes himself this way, I'm gentle and I'm humble of heart. And you will find rest for your souls. Rest for your souls. Take my yoke upon you. What's that mean? It is God in you, both willing and doing of his own good pleasure. That's the yoke. You will find rest for your souls. We take up Jesus' yoke in response to his invitation to participate in him, with him. This is how we humble our heart. This is how we glorify our God in our bodies, which are God's instruments, God's weapons. And Paul wrote to the Corinthians, he said, I beseech you by the gentleness and meekness of Christ. This is how we redeem the time, how we walk in the light while we have the light, while we have the time. During our lives in real time, in our limited allotted time. Allotted and given by the God of all grace, the time over which Jesus is Lord, the time in which he is our contemporary, a friend and not a stranger, a brother and not a distant relative. Let's be dedicated to coming to the knowledge of his love which surpasses knowledge, the knowledge of the Son of God. Real time, is our time to realize the reality that is Jesus. You belong to God. You belong to Christ, who belongs to God. Your life and time is hid with Jesus Christ, who is the same yesterday, today, and for the ages in God. When he who is your life appears, you will appear with him in glory. We must not fail then to appropriate the grace of God and to be grateful. And if I have time this week, I will do a Thanksgiving message to be aired Wednesday called Be Grateful and let brotherly love continue. Now, we're going to participate in the communion service knowing that Jesus is our contemporary. And I'll call for the ushers to be taking you shortly. Remember, he is no stranger to us. He's with us and for us, the friend who sticks closer than a brother, who's not ashamed to call us his siblings. We see him with the eyes of our heart and see him with the eyes of your heart today in this communion service. When he comes, every eye will see him. All flesh will experience God's salvation, which is Jesus, who experienced the death, which is the wages of sin for everyone. And as our capable ushers will take you to the elements and we'll be listening to a hymn, consider this, when Jesus instituted the communion he did so in real time, toward the end of his time that was allotted him as a man, Jesus, given to him to, obedient, to be obedient to his father's saving will. He spoke in terms of time. And so he said, remember the past in my death until I come in the future. Do it now in the present. Gentlemen, if you'll take our congregation to the element. And that when Jesus instituted the communion, he did so in real time, in his time, which is now our time. Our time is his time. His time is our time. He is here 
are with him. And he instituted this solemn celebration at the very end of the time allotted to him. Throughout John, we hear him say, my hour is not yet come. My hour has not yet arrived. My hour is not yet here. But now it had just about come. And this is what he did. He instituted this celebration. It seemed spontaneous, and it was, because it was instituted by the man, Jesus, in his own creative way, in his own creative time. But it was also eternally appointed for us, as your time is appointed to be here today. And he did this at the end of his time. When he entered into this world, he said, a body you have prepared for me. At the end of his time, the span allotted to him as the man Christ Jesus, he said, this is my body. The body that he would offer by the will of God, by which we would be sanctified forever. He spoke in terms of time when he instituted this because he knew that this was the only celebration of its kind that we would experience in the time in between the two great alterations. So after giving thanks and breaking the bread, and don't take it yet, but he said, this is my body, which is for you, for you. This body of mine is for you. This life that I've lived in this limited time is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And then he said, this is the cup of the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. That's how Paul put it. Paul then added, for as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. So think of this be right before we take this. Remembrance is a calling to mind time past. An event of the past, the death of Jesus. The death by which he put away sin repudiated its very possibility of being as he refuses to allow chaos in the good and gracious order of the new creation. Until he comes is referring to the mind to the future time, a referring of the mind to the future time. Remember, a referring of the mind to the past time, but to Jesus in past time. Until I come refers the mind to the future time, but the future when Jesus comes, until he comes. When our great archpriest will be seen a second time without sin for those who are eagerly waiting for him for salvation. So what are we doing right now? You are fulfilling the purpose of your allotted time right now by being obedient to what he said, because you know what he said? Do this, he said. Do this. So you can go home, as I will today, and I'll say, I don't know how obedient I've been, but I was today, because I did that. I did that. What he said to do, do this in remembrance of me. It's a profoundly significant memorial of something that happened in real time with results that carry through all time, all our times, and all the times of all people, all creation, everywhere. It's a celebration given to us by the God of all grace through Jesus Christ to be celebrated in this time in between the two radical alterations, the one of the human and creational situation from enmity to friendship with God and peace. And secondly, the human and universal condition being changed from corruptibility and mortality to immortality and corruption. It's a time of eager anticipation, an expectation which we share together as those who are reconciled to God in Jesus and who know it. We know it. And so we go forth from here having received his implanted word, which is able to save our souls. We go forth holding the word of life, which is the promise of life to everyone and which saves their souls. So with that in mind, 
This is my body, which is given for you. Let's partake of the bread. And this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this. And as often as you do, you proclaim my death until I come. We begin, therefore, a 46th year together. Victoria. Victoria.